0: This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. You love
1: supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. Paused the fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and that, yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. Is it the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion? The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them.
2: Thunder Media. Hi, I'm Chas Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars.
0: On this edition of Inside Supercars, we speak to Simon Chapman about where supercars should be heading when they go back to New Zealand.
2: But if it was me and I wanted to just say I've got the pick of any of the circuits it would be highlands
0: we also touch on the voice and politics in motorsport along with the grandstand finishes of trans am you
2: know, phillip island was where it all really sort of took off you know we had brett holdsworth sort of saying you know I'm, I'm gonna take it to owen kelly You know, fired off a, a grenade down down pit lane it's
0: all coming up today on inside supercars with simon chapman from stan sport and it starts now
1: welcome to inside Supercast, tony whitlock and craig revell and we're joined by a man who's uh, now earning his living on uh, this side of the pond that being simon chapman from new zealand welcome back to inside Supercast. simon
2: thanks tony how are you
1: Well, indeed, probably a bit colder than you because I do live outside Melbourne and we are in sort of snow country or semi-snow country. But anyway, um, so you've got a weekend coming up with Sand Sport uh, heading down to Winton, as I will as well. Um, It's uh, an interesting little track and one that must have some sort of feeling about New Zealand a bit for you.
2: Yeah, it does. There are quite a few similarities, I guess, between Winton um and a lot of Kiwi circuits. It's in the middle of nowhere for starters. Um, very rural. Uh, has a, a good a good sort of country feel about it and is pretty entertaining as well. So Yeah, looking forward to to getting down there. The weather forecast doesn't look too flash. Um, So, yeah, in many ways, it'll probably feel a lot like home.
1: (laughs) Simon, we've had you on the show before, um, and mostly while we'd we'd like to be talking about the SAN and TCR and those things, we're actually going to focus on the things that you came to Australia for, and that was, of course, to join the Speed Cafe back in 2020. Um, And the thing that you actually uh, have – You've been on the inside in race teams. You've known what they're like. You know the way they perform. Would be interested to your thoughts so far on how Gen 3 is running this year after four rounds.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? There's an awful lot of chat uh, behind the scenes about parity and, and these new cars. And unfortunately, that's kind of overshadowed the launch of the, the new Camaro and the, the new Ford Mustang, unfortunately. A lot of noise, a lot, a lot of noise. Um, but I guess, by and large, the racing's been really good. Um, if we if we put aside the parity stuff, the the racing's been fantastic at times. I think um, Melbourne was especially uh, exciting. There were some fantastic moments there in support of the the Formula One Australian Grand Prix, and we've seen some some great races since all season. Um, unfortunately, we're yet to see a Ford win a race on merit. Um, whether those complaints about parity hold any weight. We'll have to sort of wait and see uh, once, I guess, Ford maybe gets its way with some of this extra testing that's supposed to happen in, in the near future. But I think, by and large, supercars have done a pretty good job making some headway with that issue. Um, straight line speed was obviously the the main discrepancy, I think, between the two cars. You could You could visibly see it at the Grand Prix just on the front straight there. The Camaro was just so much faster in a straight line and that had always sort of been the fear, uh, with, with that new car. Um uh, Barbagallo was better, but yeah, I guess we're what a third of the way into the season still waiting for a Ford to win. Um, but I get the, I get the feeling that it, it, it won't be too far away.
1: Indeed. And one of the things that's, uh, largely been talked about is the, uh, the teams and the fact that, uh, Uh, Some of the Ford teams aren't really performing in the way they should be or could be or have done in recent past, that being both Dickford and DJR in particular. But even uh, when it comes to uh, Penwright and Grove, um, they at times have been on weekends and off weekends. The one constant that there's been is uh, an extraordinary uh, performance by the rookies, not just the young rookies, the new ones, but also the ones who've only been in the category a short time. That being, obviously, the two Erebus drivers, the two Coca-Cola drivers in Will Brown and Brody Kostecki, but also the the real rookies, that being Matt Payne in Perth was a revelation, Cam, Cam Hill in Tasmania. Um, they have uh, done some fantastic things. I'm sure you would uh, agree with that.
2: Yeah, it's it's been awesome to see that, actually, um, especially for my... Fellow countryman Matt Payne, uh, and, and I don't really, I'm not really sure exactly why the young guys have have taken a liking to this new car. Whether it's that the car is just, you know, maybe closer to things that they've driven in the past in terms of maybe the geometry, or or whether it's a case of um, the more experienced guys having to relearn stuff. It's a, it's a, a a bit of a curly one, but it's great for supercars. It's a great thing that there are these young guys, this sort of second wave of drivers coming through, um, that are doing some really good things. Matt Payne, as you mentioned, Cam Hill, you know, Matt Stone Racing, to be honest, they've been the big surprise packet this whole season. You know, they've sort of just been shadowing Erebus and Triple Eight in terms of outright one lap speed in the races they are not quite there yet. I think they're sort of being let down maybe by pit stops. Um, but yeah, they'll they'll come good eventually, I think. But yeah, as you say the young guys, Will Brown, Brody Kostekia, really taking to this new car. And it was always what we'd hoped for. That was always sort of one of the things that Supercars had spoke about Um, when I was covering it more closely was that they wanted to see a shake-up in the results. They didn't necessarily want to see, you know, the the long stays of the category being the ones that are still winning. So that's a great great thing for Supercars at the moment that these young guys are doing well.
1: One of the interesting things, of course, is that uh – we're seeing um, Trans Am Racing, um, which you know runs in a couple of series, one the Queensland series, another one a national series, which we'll be performing this weekend. Trans Am Racing has been a, a revelation since it's arrived. I mean, it's obviously been around as a category since the early 70s, but in this country, properly with these imported American cars, it's been going for the last two or three years and has been providing some amazingly close racing. I'm sure you would have seen some of it firsthand.
2: Yeah, well, Speed Series has been uh, really blessed this year with, with Trans Am, National Trans Am Series. It's, it's been fantastic. We've got some great rivalries uh, and some amazing finishes as well. You know, Phillip Island was where it all really sort of took off. You know, we had Brett Holdsworth sort of saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to take it to Owen Kelly. You know, fired off a, a grenade down, down pit lane um, because he wasn't happy with the Biffin barge and and then Owen sort of got taken out by his own teammate Eden Thornborough and it was yeah, it was just the perfect weekend for that series. The racing was insanely close. Nash Morris uh, really came to the fore. One of the closest finishes ever, I think, in in Transam history between him and James Moffat. So yeah, Transam's in a in a really good spot at the moment. It's starting to to make a few waves and and sort of rock the boat a little bit. Um, we just need to get some more eyeballs on it and more attention to it because the racing is just fantastic. You know, it's it's unmissable at the moment and it's really making some big strides forward.
1: I, I was amazed to discover that uh, I watched uh, on SBS the broadcast from uh, Queensland Raceway last weekend live. It was terrific racing. Nash Morris did an absolute number on the entire field um, and won uh, all three races or maybe four races. But um, it, uh, it it is terrific racing and. Uh, You you sort of think, gee, what Gen 3 supercars could have been? Um, I mean, they're far cheaper cars to build, far cheaper to service. Um, They don't require as many people. There are an awful lot of upside with uh, that sort of category, aren't there?
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree in part. I think, you know, fundamentally, there's no reason why supercars couldn't have adopted Trans Am, you know, there's a lot of people who say maybe supercars could have adopted Gen 3, but I think if we're going to go back to the, the root of supercars, a Trans Am car is, is closer to supercars, uh, sorry, a Tr- Trans Am car is closer to, to NASCAR than it is to supercars. You know, it's it's got a bias ply tire, um, you know, a lot, lot more slip angle that you can get through the tire, um, the cars in terms of their actual makeup. Uh, closer to like a, a late model uh, stock car. So, you know, I've spoken to some drivers and who have driven a, a Trans Am and they said, oh, you know, there's no reason why we couldn't. Um, but whether that would um, resonate with fans, hard to know. You know, there's, there is there is a, a section of fans who um, maybe don't like Trans Am because they all run the same engine, but that's one of the, the beauties of it because, you know, there's no – Issues around parity with engines, like we're seeing in, in supercars at the moment. So, yes, it's a it's a proven formula, but I think they're different are different types of cars, uh, and I think Trans Am can stand on its own two feet and be a really strong, successful category on its own, and it doesn't it doesn't need to be supercars. Supercars doesn't need to adopt that. And I think for supercars too, they they probably would prefer to have their own bespoke uh, touring car. Um, even if even if it does come with all the trouble that it's brought them so far,
0: and it's always a balancing act, isn't it? Where you have got a new car, you've got teething problems, but it's more a a question about is having a bespoke, highly technical car what people want, or is close racing and they don't care what's under the panels what people really want
2: yeah it, it's it's a very it's a debate that you could you could have for days hmm. you know it's there there is no silver bullet per se um i think supercars yeah when you think of supercars you think of sort of that that late 90s era of um ford falcons and and holden commodores and and things like that and that's sort of been maintained all the way up until sort of car of the future. And we had that period of, you know, the Volvo and the Nissan and the Mercedes. And, and you know, those cars were supercars, you know, at the end of the day. So I think for, for supercars, they need to sort of retain that identity um, and sort of stay true to, to what they are. And, okay, this new car is a two-door coupe, but it still, by and large, resembles a supercar and its attitude and its sound and and everything that we sort of know. Whereas you look at one of these Trans Am cars and if you get under the bonnet, they are very bare bones. There's not a heck of a lot holding it all together. It's very NASCAR. It's very stock car. It's, you know, it's very sort of, you know, jump in and drive sort of spec. You don't need heaps of engineers and, and things like that. And if you think about it as well from a, I guess, a personnel point of view if supercars and goes and adopts a a standard control platform that doesn't require as many people well then you know there's a whole bunch of people who are going to be without jobs so they've probably got a little bit of a duty of care to although you know they talk about cutting costs they still need to keep people in jobs
0: Hmm. yeah it's an interesting balance that they have to uh, run or that they're choosing to run really is the uh, correct way to say look talking about choice and Simon, you are a New Zealand national that's uh, over here on the the big island, but we have got a a situation where one of the the great legends of Australian motorsport, Larry Perkins, has been quite vocal, speaking on uh, 3AW and two others about his uh, thoughts with Motorsport Australia making a a public announcement that they're supporting The Voice. And he was quite upset that they hadn't consulted anyone like himself, who is a Life member, or any of the other members of uh, Australian motorsport, before they went in with all the other sports in uh, making that decision. Can you put a... A, a view to politics in sport and then obviously New Zealand has a different approach to uh, European settlement.
2: Yeah, I guess it depends how, how deep you want to you get into it, right? Um, and, and where do you start? You know, like I guess the cynic in me to an extent sort of says, you know, there's this discussion about we shouldn't have politics in sport, but sport is inherently tied to um, to politics because, you know, sport does get money um, from the government. We see that with supercars events. You know, the state governments and federal governments do tip a bit of money into the sport. So, yeah, I'm not necessarily suggesting that, you know, the government is pushing for <laughs> its associated organisations to, to, I guess, endorse it. But, yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky one. It, it's it's hard to sort of get into the nitty gritty without having a, a really long and sort of elongated commentary on it because there's so many sort of facets to it. Um, you can sort of, I guess you can understand from Larry's point of view that he, he hasn't been consulted, but does motorsport Australia have to, you know, do they have to consult all their members on, on that sort of topic? Um, yeah, you know, they are a governing body. They can, they can see what they want. Um, and to, to an extent that, the, the standard has sort of been set by a lot of the other organisations, you know, like the AFL, the NRL, rugby. if you don't support it, you might be being seen to not be endorsing the voice, which I think fundamentally um, is a good thing, you know, for the Indigenous people of Australia to to have a say. I, I, I don't really see any problem with that. You know, people want to be represented, and at the end of the day, they're, they're the people that were here first, so they probably should get... bit of a say Um, and I guess the same sort of thing applies in New Zealand right you know we in New Zealand there's the the Treaty of Waitangi and there's all sorts of issues that that come with that but at the end of the day it's a document that sort of recognizes who was here first and who are I guess the indigenous people of of New Zealand so yeah it's really only scratching the surface Um, you could talk about it all day you know and and whether it's right or wrong or not but um, Larry's allowed to have his opinion and other people can have their opinion too i don't it's not necessarily one that's that's right or wrong per se
0: i think that is the important thing everyone's allowed to have their opinion no one's necessarily right or wrong but it does make uh, for a good headline when you have someone of such stature saying they don't speak they shouldn't be speaking for me and that's the philosophical uh, angle in it, should a members-based group be speaking for its members without asking the members? Without you know, the whole reason you have a government is because you ask the people to vote the government, and then they run the country.
2: Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's it's a tricky one too because I think motorsport as a whole doesn't have a lot of indigenous representation. Unfortunately, and it would have been it would have been really good if motorsport had an individual um, who had or has uh, you know Torres Strait Islander First Nations, you know, sort of that Indigenous history tied to them, who could really get behind this and sort of say, hey, you know, you, know, you should be getting behind the voice, and maybe that wouldn't yeah you know, make it as big of an issue, but unfortunately, it, it doesn't. So, but yeah, I think Larry's concerns are valid. No, you can't. You can't take that away from him. But at the end of the day, that's that's his opinion, and and there'll be other people who who say otherwise to it. That is exactly why you have a referendum, right? It's basically to to say yes or no at the end of the day. So, yeah, extremely extremely complex issue. Um, I guess we'll see what happens when it plays out. At the polls,
0: mm. and I I think one of the things that people have been uh, concerned about is. If a organisation was to stay neutral, would that affect next time it's going to government for support in some way or the other? And I think that is the that is the tightrope that organizations are walking. They know that the government of the day is pro for the for the point and therefore Do we need to be showing we're pro because they're the people we're going to be asking for money? And that is where the politics in sport really starts to play into the question, because let's face it, Tony, there is no motorsport without politics. It's like, you know, the second lap of the race.
1: It does get into the whole area of a bunch of white men complaining, I feel. Simon, you are
0: also in a unique position, having been to all the tracks in New Zealand, to suggest a couple of places that might be good supercar tracks in the future.
2: Yeah. um, Well, where where do we start? Um, I guess let's start like contextually, obviously it's a real shame that Pukekohe's been uh, shut down for good as, as far as the, the racetrack goes. Um, So supercars were sort of left scrambling going, okay, heck, what do we, what do we do now? And, Unfortunately, for that event, a lot of that money was tied to the Auckland um, Tourism Board, essentially. And so, you know, without another circuit in Auckland, there was a lot of questions about whether supercars would actually ever return. And I think I think I told you guys that probably it would have been maybe six months ago when this all came out that I was basically, I was of the belief that supercars would never go back to to New Zealand Um without any sort of financial support and somehow um yeah it looks like they, they might actually go back topo is being discussed as as the favorite that's in the the central north island it's relatively remote um compared to somewhere like Pukekohe, which basically sits smack bang in the middle of, of town and less than an hour out from from the cbd um i guess in terms of the logistics of that like it's a great circuit. It's obviously hosted a one GP before it's got a proven track record. Um, if I grade two, it would probably provide some really good racing for supercars. It's got a, a good sort of mix of, um, twisty bits, long sweepers, um, and long straights and a chicane as well. Um, yeah, super Tour is, I say back in the day, it wasn't all that long ago, probably less than a decade. Um, the racing with that was pretty good. um, so that's sort of is the that's the go-to at this point. From the sounds of things, is that they'll end up in the in the central North Island. It'd be interesting to see what attendance is like for an event like that. Given it's you know it's nowhere near Auckland. It's a it's a three-hour drive um, for for Australians. That might not sound like much, but for most New Zealanders, that's not exactly a day out. So um, yeah. Three hours from Auckland, two hours from Hamilton, and probably another two hours um, to to Tauranga. In an ideal world, if we were putting, I guess the the finances aside, Hampton Downs would probably be a, a good option, given its proximity to, to Hamilton and Auckland. Um, sort of sits like smack bang in the middle. It's not not far away from from Pukakaui actually. It's about fifteen minutes away, just on the main highway there. Um, beyond that. Highlands would be probably, if we were putting putting away everything, like all your restrictions and, and any inhibitors, Highlands would probably be the, the best circuit for supercars to go, if only because it's a spectacular circuit in a spectacular location. There's all sorts of opportunities for tourism there. It'd be, it'd be a bit like a party round because there's so much going on around um, that circuit. Um, but unfortunately, you know that's pretty remote relative to the rest of the country. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd probably be having to fly the cars in to Christchurch um, rather than maybe um, doing sea freight. So, yeah, I think Topor so sounds like it's going to be the place that we end up if we do end up going back next year, which is sounding more and more likely. But if it was me and I wanted to just say. I've got the pick of any of the circuits. It would be Highlands,
1: Simon. Um, you raised an interesting point there. Of course, that if you're going to go to the trouble of taking the cars to New Zealand and and having been there first when the supercars went over when they were just called V8s in '96, uh, um, I certainly believe that they should go there. There's enough uh, interest in the category and in your own drivers performing well there. Um, the idea of two rounds and If you're going to fly into Auckland with the cars and then truck them down to uh, uh, Taupo, Topal, you obviously then could fly them into Queenstown and uh, do the same sort of thing. That would have to be a feasible proposition then two rounds. Now, okay, maybe there wouldn't be the large crowds that you'd want at Highlands, but as a television event, I agree, it would look fantastic.
2: And it all sounds good on paper, but ultimately it comes back to who pays right like they've already got a big enough drama trying to secure funding um, from the the central government um, to try and get that that tow pool off the ground so to then say okay well let's go to the south island well then you know local council probably isn't going to tip much money into it um christchurch has tipped most of its money into into sale gp so yeah, you know, it would it would be a great thing, <laughs> and it all sounds good on paper. And, and we and we always say we always say you know we're already there. We're you know, we're already there for for a week or two. Why don't we just do do a double header? But it does cost money. It costs money to put these events on. Um, and unfortunately, you know, New Zealand is not that big. Um, it's it doesn't have state governments like Australia does. So the 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 pile of money is, is sort of there's only one pot essentially, you know, there's not different pots that you can sort of um, tip into like you have here with like the New South Wales and the Victorian state governments and things like that. So that's always going to be your, your biggest hurdle. So I think the best that we can hope for is, you know, them going to Topor next year, um, hopefully on more than a one year deal, you know, it would be good if they could secure some long-term, um, security around that event and sort of give people people an opportunity to see what supercars is like there i'd be i'd be fascinated to see how that all shapes out and you know if if it does come to pass what the what the attendance is like because when A1GP first went there it wasn't great it didn't get a huge amount of people but A1GP didn't have the names or the name recognition like supercars has we saw and you saw Tony when the New Zealand Grand Prix was on at Hampton Downs um, when Shane van Gisbergen was racing there. There were people, there were so many more people there, and that that was Toyota Racing Series. That wasn't even V8s, you know. That wasn't that wasn't like a big name series by any means, but people were keen to turn up and watch because it was Shane van Gisbergen. Now you're in there and you get all of the Supercars paddock and all of those names across the ditch to Topor, I'd be willing to bet that people would travel for that, which would be. Fantastic, Um, but time will tell. We'll see what happens.
0: Simon, when Race was uh, getting the funding to buy the uh, Supercar Series, one thing they were telling their investors was that they were going to have an Enduro in New Zealand. Now, understanding that they were going to offer a sprint race and an Enduro, does that change the the balance of how a two-race weekend could be seen and could be structured?
2: Maybe. You know, that was something that was spoken about a while ago, even even in the public domain. But, yeah, I don't know. Again, it just comes down to who pays. Um, I, I'm not sure that having the enduro tag next to it necessarily sweetens the deal that much. If anything, it makes it probably harder because you've got to take – more equipment over, um, potentially more personnel because, you know, you've, you've got to take all the refueling rigs and things like that, whereas supercars have kind of been pretty happy and comfortable to just do their non-refueling races in New Zealand and, and just sort of make it as, as cheap as possible. So, yeah, I somehow doubt um, a, a New Zealand would take off. Also, consider that there's a big push within the supercars community to, to keep Sandown as an enduro for as long as they can. You know, that's a, that's a big thing for them. Um, yeah. There's a, a lot of, a lot of nervous people, much like um, fans of Pukekohe who are kind of going, okay, you know, we, we know that Sandown has a limited lifespan on it. Let's just, you know, maximize it while we can, because much like Pukekohe, there's probably going to become a day where, where we all wake up and the news breaks that that place is being shut down. Forever, um, so to your point, no, I, I I can't see I can't see an enduro ever happening um, in New Zealand, not at least with supercars like that.
1: Simon, um, I first went to Sandown at I think it would have been about sixty-eight. Um, so I only missed by about four years that uh, next year will be eighty years since uh, your countryman one Jim Palmer won the three-hour race at Sandown with uh, one Jackie Stewart, um, well before he was Sir Jackie. Um, A a, a moment in history that uh, Jim Palmer, I know, still long regards with great affection. But um, before we leave the subject of supercars, maybe I could just ask you, throw some uh, names out there on who you think is uh, potentially going to win the championship this year. A, as a driver, me who's going to win the teams championship.
2: Gosh, um, you put me on the spot. That's that's a tough one. That's that's a really tough one, and and it's a good thing that I can say that because in recent years we would have all just defaulted and gone Shane van Gisbergen, right?
1: Uh,
0: yep.
2: But with the way that Erebus are, are going at the moment, there's there's potential there uh, for Will Brown or Brody Kasticky to to get up. Um, my my gut and and this isn't the Kiwi in me, but you know my gut inherently says Shane just because he is he is the number one at the moment. You know he's just he's on his day. he's completely unbeatable. I think I think the way that we could see this year going is that Shane and Brock sort of are there or thereabouts. Shane probably more so than Brock. Um, and Erebus will find itself um, often with its two blokes quite close to each other. And that could potentially make some issues for those two. If you've you know, it's much easier for a team if it's got a standout number one because they can dedicate all of their resources to that. You know, with Will and Brody at the moment, those guys are, are pretty close and, and whether that maybe creates a little bit of tension and maybe a bit of drama and maybe they end up tripping over each other and, and maybe, you know, there isn't a number one driver within that team and, and they maybe just catch each other focusing on each other too much and that might mean that shane is just able to sort of cruise on through now at the moment the championship is pretty tight um you've got to factor in those penalties at newcastle and without those penalties it's even closer you know so i think part of me says that triple eight will probably end up with it probably the the driver's championship at least Erebus just need to be consistent uh, with the with the teams side of things, and and they could potentially get one over um, over Triple Eight. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that Shane is gonna get the championship, but only just. I reckon it's gonna be pretty close, um, and then it'll be a fight over second and third between Brody. Will and Brock Feeney. I can't see any other team factoring in at at this point.
1: Well, Simon, thank you very much for giving us your opinion. It's certainly one that's based on experience and knowledge of this business. Um, I I know that you will look back uh, uh, what your predictions are and think, yes, I was right, no, I was wrong, whatever. Whichever way it goes, it appears that as much as we had hoped it would it now appears that the cars are as close as they can be and that we've got a championship in both drivers and teams well worth watching I'm hope you'll uh, be doing the same
2: I will be watching it all from the comfort of my couch
1: Alright Simon Chapman thank you so much for joining us on Inside Supercars look forward to catching up with you in person at Winton for the uh, third round of the Speed Series and Stan Sport Thank you Simon Chapman You love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter. Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. Paused the fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. These are the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limiter Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them.